Um, so I have this dictionary app on my phone, right? And you know what the word was for today? It was, I, I didn't even know this was a word. Mother wit. Mother wit, right? Two, I guess two words. But, and it means natural intelligence. That's a good word, right? That's, so try to use that in a sentence at, at lunch today. Mother wit. Um, the mothers have it and males don't, right? We don't have natural intelligence. Um, so we're going to celebrate the natural intelligence of our moms. Um, you know, when you think about truth, there's nothing like mom, right? Giving you truth and love. There's nothing like a mother who knows you, knows your moods, knows your patterns, um, knows kind of the, the, the rhythms of your life, and she comes to you at the perfect time, lovingly, and says, look, here's the truth. I'm going to tell you this, right? This is what um, is probably in your life, Frankie, uh, the most truthful thing that you need to hear. We thank God for moms. And, you know, in a lot of ways it's appropriate, in a lot of ways it's appropriate for this week uh, when talking about um, the scriptures. Because a lot of people have questions about the Bible. What type of mother wit is it? What type of truth is it? I mean, what do the scriptures really mean? And so. Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, he, he gives us some context for it. Um, and he says this, um, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after, you have done everything to stand. And I'm going to end right here with this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Here's what the Christian faith requires. That you believe the Bible. Just straight up. It requires that you believe the Scriptures. And some of us, you would see that the Bible is historically inaccurate. I know I've talked, I talked about this some on Easter Sunday. Um, and that some of you can't be sure that the Bible actually happens. And some of you go farther, I get it, and you say, you know what, the Bible is culturally, it's obsolete. It does not apply. In fact, the Bible seems, when I read it, it actually seems to be a little regressive. Right? It moves us backwards when you read it. Like we've come this far in our society, but it actually moves us backwards. But if you've ever read any of Anne Rice's uh, books, she was the famous um, interview with a vampire author uh, who began to uh, really begin to investigate the, the claims of Christianity and the scriptures. And she thought, oh my goodness, you know what? When I look at where I come from and where a lot of, of, the, of the academic institutions come from, you know what? Uh, there, there's not a whole lot of um, evidence for them. Because 
when you look at, at, a, at a piece of literature, you, when you look at the historicity of that piece of literature, what is the criteria? One is this. How many manuscripts have been made available? Two, as a history, uh, as a historian, what's the time interval between the date of the original writing and the date of the particular manuscript? And then third, what is the quality of the manuscripts? And I talked about this briefly, but I want to show you a picture here. I think we have it. This, these are Caesar, Plato's, Tacitus, Theodides, Her, Her, uh, Herodotus. Uh, I, don't, I didn't say that right. Uh, Aristotle. And these are all the writings. Uh, when they wrote um, their particular you know, history or famous writing. And then when is the earliest copy that we have? Now look at the time span in between those. And we see these historically as true. 1,000, 1,200, 1,000, 13, 13, 13. And how many copies do we have? 10, 7, 28, 8, and 49. And we don't question these. And so the next slide is the, the number one and the number two most documented uh, sources. And this is Homer's Iliad, 900 B.C. to 400 B.C. There's 500 years in between when we have the actual manuscript and we only have 643 of those when you look at the new testament the earliest manuscript we have is only 25 years after when it was actually documented and we have 24,000 copies that are equal and so people when you look at the uh, standard for deciding whether or not something is true something has integrity when we look at all these other historical works, we don't question those, but I tell you what, the world wants to question the New Testament. But just use the evidence. The evidence, as we said on Easter Sunday, demands a verdict, and it's 24,000 copies, only 25 years removed. What can that do for you? I think it can give you confidence. Confidence in truth. Because many of us, we question this book. I know you do. Should I, Frank, take the Bible literally? What do I do with that? Did he really say these things? But when you look at the evidence, the timing, particularly when it comes to the Gospels, it's too early for the Gospels to be cited as legends. Right? There are too many eyewitnesses. There were, there were too many opponents. And if they put that out there, you know what? Too many people would have said, no, there weren't that many eyewitnesses. It would have been completely debunked, but it wasn't. And so when you look at the history and you realize, you know what? No. Maybe the liberals have it wrong. I mean, you can't say Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan, he didn't just jump from the free throw line and dunk it and dunk and dunk the ball. He jumped from the three-point line and he dunked the ball. But what do we have in this day and age? We have YouTube, right? You just YouTube the slam dunk contest of 1985, 86, and 87, and you'll see. He didn't jump from the three-point line. He jumped from the free-throw line, right? There, there is the evidence. We would all, right, we would all say, no, 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 that, that, that legend is, is being expanded, right? That, you know, I caught a fish this big. Then it was this big. Then it was, you know, bigger than that. And so as you look at, at what the scriptures, as, at the historical evidence, um, why in the world um, would the Gospels uh, have included women as early eyewitnesses? They were not trusted, but they were included in the Gospel. That didn't make any sense. Um, why would you show 
if you had this agenda, as some people think, uh, why would you show that the apostles, they, uh, they had these spats between themselves that were petty? We see that all throughout Scripture. Why would you include those if you're trying to promote an agenda? wouldn't. Why would you um, talk about the failures of the apostles? And so as, as you look at that, we begin to then what, add credibility to what we believe um, is the truth of our lives. Because here's what Paul says. Paul says to put on the full armor of God. And what, what that means is this, right? Is we're called to put on this disposition, this mindset, the, the set of glasses to look at into the world. That's what you have to use to put on the full armor of God, right? We have to begin to think. And so Paul by using this military imagery, he's trying to get across a couple of points. He uses this imagery, this metaphor, because uh, not because he's trying to glorify, right? Not because he's trying to glorify warfare, um, but he needs us to see life, in a sense, as war. Because that will bring some what? Some urgency to obedience. If you believe your life is war... And as John Piper says, if you believe that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie to God, you're going to talk to him all the time. If you're in a bunker and you really believe, as Paul wrote, that your uh, enemies, it's not flesh and blood, it's the enemies uh, of the spiritual realms, the demonic realms. If you believe in the spiritual powers of darkness and you believe that you're in a bunker and you know the only truth you can get is to talk to God, and prayer is like a wartime walkie-talkie, you will pray with a desperation, right, and an urgency that maybe you've never prayed with. But for some of us, if I think some of us view what our relationship with God um, as He's our employer. And what do we know about being an employee? If God is our employer, and you're an employee, what do you have the right to do whenever you want? You have the right to quit. We can quit. We can quit whenever we want. And so if you believe that you're an employer or employee, and God is your supervisor, right? You can just say, hey, you know what? I'm out. But what God is trying to tell us is to put on the full armor of God. Here's what it means. It means to enlist. And here are your orders now. That's different. That's different than a, some kind of policy manual of your employer. No, if you are truly a soldier of, of the Lord, when you enlist, you know what you do? You give up the right to disobey. You cannot disobey your general or your colonel in the midst of war. You can't do that. And I believe a lot of us, we see it that way. We don't see our relationship with God as being one where we actually have enlisted. So he is our employer, and he is not our master, and we don't have the right to quit. But when you can understand it this way, you know what? He is um, our general, and I am in the army. You know what happens? I think a lot of us think maybe that would shrink our humanity. It, it, would, it would minimize humanity. But you know what it does when you see it this way? You know what it pulls out of you? Two things, two important things. Courage. When you know you're a soldier in the army of the Lord, you will have more courage and you will have more submission. I mean, think about the, you know, the, the ideal uh, cadet 
Someone who is courageous and someone who is submissive to the orders of his higher up, right? That's why in the Middle Ages, you know what they talked about Christians as? As a knight. And what was a knight? A knight was willing to be in the fight. Someone getting their head lopped off didn't freak him out. And, and a knight was someone who would do what? Would write a song. Would, 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 would spit out a, a poem. That's what a knight did. He did both. He is the warrior poet akin to what David was. Who would fight Goliath and then pick up his, his mandolin, hopefully. No, his harp, right? And, and write a song to the Lord. No, it's either got to be one or the other. No. This is what it does to you. The armor of God um, is given to us. And the armor of God stresses the fact that, you know what? We have been given something through Christ that is what? That we do not have naturally. You do not have the armor of God naturally. You don't have this. You don't, you're not just born with it. It's something that has been provided to you, right? And I think the first question that you have to ask is this, you know, is this been given to me? Do I really have this? Do I really have the, the armor of God and have I enlisted in the army of God? Because this metaphor, I mean, it, it really works. Because think about when the forces of evil and of Satan come after you. What does it do? I mean, think about what Satan does to your imagination, to your desires. He infects it. He takes thoughts that you have and then what? And then uh, transforms them. And your, um, your imagination, with the shot of Satan, it goes absolutely wild. Th think, think about anger for a second, right? Think about anger. Here's what we know. God is angry. Why is God angry? Because he hates injustice. We see it all throughout the scriptures. God is angry because things are not right. The crooked is not made straight yet, so God is angry. But what happens when Satan gets a hold of your anger and he injects right, his words, his voice into your life? You, you don't fight for injustice. You become bitter. right? You can't let go of it. Anger begins to morph into it. It's, it's this, um, this infection of the imagination. It's this song on your, pray, on your playlist, right, on your, on your iPhone. And someone actually hit the tab that says uh, loop. And now it's just on loop now. And you can't get this song out of your head. And you are just angry and angry. And that anger turns into bitterness. That's what Satan does, right? It gets louder and louder. And we cannot put it away. Think about guilt. Guilt is good. Why is guilt good? Because I am convicted of my sin. You're convicted of your sin. When you feel guilty, Jiminy Cricket, man, he is there in your ear saying, come on, man, you know what's wrong. But what happens when Satan gets a hold of it, right? And he begins to inject into your imagination about guilt. What happens? Well, self-hate happens. And at its worst extreme, suicide happens when Satan gets a hold of it. Because he says, you're not just guilty of that. You know what? That is now your identity. That is who you are. You cannot get past that. And it is gross. Think about worry or fear. 
I mean, what does it mean to be concerned as a mom? But what happens when Satan gets a hold of your imagination, when your kids are away from you, or you're, you're beginning to imagine what they could be experiencing, and Satan gets a hold of your thought and injects that infection into it, next thing you know, you are paranoid. You are anxiety-ridden. And you cannot turn it off. And Paul says, here's what we need to do. We need to put on the full armor of God. And we need to try to fight the spiritual forces of darkness with the spiritual forces of light that I've given you. And I've given it to you, and if we were to go on, to go on you'd see the shield of faith and, and, the, and the, the shoes of the gospel good news, all these different, the helmet of salvation, all these different um, uh, uh, items of armor that we have to use. But when you're thinking about, okay, why would he use that? It's because, you know what, Satan is coming at us. The forces of darkness are coming at us. And so, a Christian is somebody who what? Begins to think. Some of us think, no, I just come here by faith. No. Yes, you come here by faith and believing in an invisible God, but you come here and you learn to think. It means to take the truths of Scripture literally. It's something that is given, something that is revealed to you. How do you view the Scriptures? I ask you. It's a huge question. It's one of the five biggest ones that I get. And so when you're dealing with your problems, the revelation is not something that you just pull out of your own gut, that you wait for your conscience to tell you what you do. And many of us in this room, we never go to Scripture when we're dealing with something. You don't, don't, you don't open the Bible. You don't go and turn to the back of your NIV study Bible where there's a, a concordance. And whatever issue you're dealing with, just turn to that. And I guarantee you that concordance will have in the back of your Bible 10 to 30 verses that will what? Inject truth that will what? Combat the lies that Satan is trying to uh, place in you. And that's what it means to what? To put on the armor of God. We've been uh, given ways of dealing with our issues. And, and one of them, he says, is look, here's what I need you to do. I need you to put on the belt. He calls it the belt. What's the significance of a belt? Right, the belt of truth. I mean, when you really think about that piece, right, of, um, of your clothing, a soldier at that time would be wearing a long flowing robe. And uh, the only way you would ever really use uh, your armor is when you would get ready for action, right? You would pick up all of your skirts and you tuck them into your belt. And then what? You were ready for action. First Peter, it says this, gird up the loins of your mind. Girding up your loins meant that you had a belt and that you had a long flowing robe, Right? And that you had to do some kind of strenuous action, some hard work. And you had to pick up all the pieces of your robe, tuck it into your belt, and then what? When you were ready for action, you moved. And so the belt of truth is a little different than maybe some of you who've read further than the sword of the Spirit. Right? It's the truth of the Bible um, that you apply to what? To the inside of you. It's not offensive. The sword of the Spirit is offensive. This is defensive. What does it do? It covers. It, mean, it means it has to apply to what? Your private parts. And I'm not trying to be, you know, 
to use any language that's inappropriate. I'm just saying what part of what it means is to say, is this inside of you? Because it matters. If the sword of the Spirit, which is used offensively, is not right, met, complemented by the belt of truth, if you don't have it inside of you, if you don't believe it for sure, then you know what? You will not be fit for battle. To put on the belt of truth means what? You have to believe the Bible. You have to believe the Scriptures. Some of us, when you think about philosophy or religion, one word that's come up with is superstition. Have you ever thought about that word? Superstition. All right, just break that word down. Super and stition. To be superstition is to what? Believe more than the stition. And to be substitious means to, be, to believe less than the stition, the truth, right? The reality. And so, particularly in the Middle Ages, um, we see people who were what? Superstitious. They believed more than what was there. And so, when you have a guy, 40, 50, well, I guess it was 40 years ago, Jim Jones, who says, here's the truth. Yeah, the Bible's true, but let me give you something superstitious, something more super than the truth. Let's all move down to South America. And I have been given the revelation of God, and I will slowly begin to reveal that to you. And hundreds of people did. And then finally he says, here's the revelation of God. Drink the Kool-Aid. And you've seen the pictures of hundreds of people dead because a guy decided to speak super, supra, above, adding on to the revelation of God. And so there are some of us that uh, we fall prey to that. You know what that's about? That's a cult. Many cults. You know what they'll say? The Bible is true, but this is also true above that. And you've got to watch out for that. Anybody who believes says that the Bible is the truth, but not the only truth. Here's additional truth. They are superstitious. The flip is also true. Is when you decide, you know what? I can't believe the full truth of the scriptures. It's a fine book full of human teachings. And you know what? Um, I'm going to pick this part. I like James, but I don't like John. I like the Psalms, but I'm not going to read Exodus. I'm going to read Deuteronomy, but I tell you what, that stuff in Revelation freaks me out. I don't believe that. That's when you begin to, you become substitious. And you do not believe in the totality of what the Word of God says. You cannot put on the belt of truth if you do not believe that the Word of God is authoritative. And so, who decides, right? Who decides what part of Scripture to believe and not believe? You do. Because you like this part and not this part. So then, who is in control? You are. Not God. Not him saying, this is my word revealed to you. You're in control and God isn't. And so if we're not going to take the Bible literally, if we're not going to take the whole of Scripture, right, um, then we miss out on what God has for us. We begin to what? Uh, kind of uh, sanitize the Bible. Some of us say this, we must not universalize, or excuse me, I'm not going to believe all that the Bible says because you know what? It's regressive. And in 2019, um, I can't believe that stuff. But I, but I ask you this. Um, do you believe that 2019 is the arrival or the destination of true truth? 
that our particular time where we live, we have uh, the market on truth as opposed to 50 years ago, 100 years ago. How about 200 years from now? Many of us think, no, no, it's regressive to believe that, but that belief is what? It's narrow and it's exclusive because some of us believe the Bible to be offensive. To stay away from Christianity because the part of the uh, Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes what? That there is a God and that God should never, and his view should never upset you. Some of you think, I come to the Bible and whenever I read the Bible, it better not upset me. It better not mess with my presuppositions because if it does, it's wrong and I'm right. And I want to say, how would you, or why would you believe that? Why would you believe that when you read the Bible and maybe you, something in your gut feels a little funky with that, that the Bible is wrong and you're right instead of vice versa? Because I think many of us do. In any relationship, true relationship, that other person has what? Has the ability to what? Contradict you. And so here's what we believe. An authoritative Bible is what? It's not the enemy of a personal relationship with God at all. You know what it is? We believe it's the precondition. For you to grow means you believing that the words of God are helpful to you. Because imagine if you were born during the time of Sparta. And here's what people in, in Sparta did uh, when they were in power. If a child was born with some kind of issue, you know, some, some, something wrong with their body, something that just didn't look right, you know, just some deformity. You know what they did? Literally, what they did in Sparta, they would throw that baby off a cliff because they didn't want to deal with it, right? And so when we, when we look at that, you know, obviously we think to ourselves, that is wrong. There is no doubt, but you know what? If you don't believe in the Bible, and you hear a story like that, or you read a history like that, and you think, they did what? That is wrong. For a Spartan culture to do that is absolutely wrong. I just want you to do a little work with me. Where did you get that idea from? Because you can't get the idea, and I know how extreme it is, but that throwing a baby off a cliff, you don't get that from science, that that's wrong. If you don't believe in the Bible, where do you come up with that idea? Where do you get the authority to say that is something that is wrong? Many of us come in here and we say, you know what, I'm, I don't quite understand the scriptures, but I will tell you what is right and what is wrong. A Christian, at least, is consistent to go into a culture and says, you know what, we're going to convert you and we're going to get you to stop throwing babies off sides of cliffs. Why? Because the Bible says that life right, is made in the image of God. That's why we say it. That's why this church says it. That's, why we, that's what we stand on, right? That's why we would treat men and women equally because we are both made in the image of God. And, you know, though in, in other cultures, if you had a girl child, that would not be economically as advantageous. Um, that doesn't make any difference because here's what we believe, that the Bible stands in authority and judgment over our culture. But if you don't believe the scripture as true revelation, I ask you, what right do you have to say that any culture is superior to another one? If you don't use the word of God, 
What right do you have to say? You know intrinsically, right, that it is wrong to throw babies off a cliff, even if that is legal in Sparta during that time. But how do you know for sure that it's wrong? Where do you get that truth? You have a conscience, right? And your conscience, even if you don't believe the Bible, has been informed by what? Has been informed by Christian principles in this country. And your conscience may even be informed directly by God. But unless you believe that there is a God who has a revelation that can judge a culture as right or wrong, then you know what? You really don't have any basis for saying anything is right or wrong. What do we say? Classic Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, in particularly in the Apostles' Creed, which we've already said. This is what we believe is authoritative, is true, uh, objective revelation. Do you believe the belt of truth? Do you believe what? That the Bible is the Word of God. Because think about it. If you believe in the infallibility of Scripture... And let's say you're still a jerk. It's weird, right? Let's say you're just a jerk, right? There are plenty of Christians that walk around here that are rude. There are plenty of Christians walking around who what? Gossip. You can't ever keep a secret. Who walk around who are sensitive to nobody and nobody ever talks to you. And you're always upset and you're always offended, right? Plenty of Christians walking around. Plenty of Christian men walking around. And women realize that if they come up with an idea, they're going to be discounted because they're a woman. And there are plenty of Christian men that walk around and everybody says, listen, he's, I know that guy. He's not going to listen to anything a woman says. And we have our stuff. And we are very harsh. And you can't ever hear criticism and when anybody ever criticizes you you are deeply offended and everybody is afraid to get near you you know if that's you and as a result here's what we know the scripture says you're being defeated you're not being used by God as a result you know what people are not being transformed through your life because of the state of your life and in many cases you have a lot of your problems why because of you because of what you are doing and there's only one answer right and if people if i were to come up to you or your spouse your 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 husband or your wife were to come up to you and say look i need to confront you you know what you would not hear it you would not hear it at all because you're just going to get upset and you're going to get defensive and you will get angry and so here's the beauty of the word of god is you have to let the word of god do that to you you have to let the Bible search you. You have to let the Bible, as it says, be a two-edged sword. You have to allow the Bible, right, to work right, its goodness and its sanctification inside of you. And you know what that means? I mean, this is going to be hard for some of you. That means knowing the Bible. It, mean knowing, it means knowing what the books of the Bible are. It means knowing where the love chapter is in the Bible. That's 1 Corinthians 13 and where the resurrection chapter is, 1 Corinthians 15. 
and knowing where the crucifixions are in the gospel. It means falling in love with the mouth of God. That's what it means. And knowing all sorts of doctrine is not good enough, ultimately, if you're not letting that come in. So you're not supposed to be paging through and deciding what parts of the Bible you like and what parts of the Bible you don't like. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to let the Bible page through you and decide what parts of your life the Bible likes and what parts of, of your life that the Bible doesn't like. Because here's what we believe. It's active and living. And if you get to know it, if you really fall in love with the Scriptures and you study it, here's what you'll believe. These are the orders of my master. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to take a red pencil. He's, beginning, he's going to begin to cut things out of my life that's going to make my life harder and better. And I'm going to become more, what, healthy. And it's going to tell me that there are infections going on inside of me that I could never let a person tell me because I'm too sensitive. I'm way too defensive. But you know what? If you're soft and you read the Word of God and you get to know it, you know what it does? It just melts your heart. And the Bible talks to you. So what does it mean to put on the belt of truth? That's what it means. For you to know God's Word. For you to truly believe that it is literal. And you understand that health is coming. Because you know it when it happens. So on Saturday, we had a fireballer throw a fastball, right? into the face of one of the, the guys on my team. And this kid went down, right? And it freaked everybody out, right? He was writhing in pain, screaming. Here's what happened. I wasn't sure how this kid was. I wasn't sure if he was okay. Did he have a concussion? Do we need to rush him to the hospital? What do I do? I, I am not a doctor, right? Jay, if you, if you know him, Jay Lavina. He's a surgical um, uh, uh, PA, well-known in our community, and he was right there in the dugout. And let me tell you, when Jay came out, and he looked at Luke, little Luke, after he was writhing, you know what I saw in the body language of all the coaches and all the moms and dad up in the, in the stands do? Their shoulders dropped. Because what were they in the presence of? Truth. Oh my gosh, what's the truth? Is this boy going to be okay? And he said, no, he's going to be okay. Luke, tell me, who, what day is it? What team are you on? What just happened? And we looked at him and he said, no, he's going to be okay. We walked him over to our dugout and he sat down. When truth came onto that field, everybody knew it. When the word of God comes into your life, when you put on the belt of truth, you know what? You take this scattered robe and you're not going to trip on it. Because everything's going to be brought together with truth. And that's what it means. Do you believe the power of the scriptures that way? Because that is what, uh, when Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed, right? And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's the Word of God that no one else can tell you. But when you read it, you feel the voice and hear the voice of God saying, okay, it's time to cut this out. It's time to turn the volume up on this. It's time to love our mothers in ways you have not and you've taken them for granted, right? Let's do that. When we begin to apply that, you know what? We begin to have victory. So I ask you, 
How thoroughly are you studying the scriptures? How often are you studying the word of God? It is very life. It is breath for us as Christians. How much time does your work schedule allow for that? How often have you opened a Bible in front of your six-year-old son or ten-year-old son and said, you know what, this is life. I'm going to read something, and that talk I'm going to have with you in your room, I can't. it's not going to be nearly as effective as us as a family know the Word of God. And let's let that inform us. Where are you? Do you believe the Bible? And do you believe it literally? And do you believe that the point of the Bible is the work of Jesus and the grace of Jesus that is trying, right, to transform our lives? It's a question that many people have. Look at it historically, look at it culturally, but also, please, look at it existentially inside of you and see what it does. Let's pray and ask God to work in